You're listening to Sacks in the Basement, a production of the Broadcast Basement Limited, where every show is 30 minutes of good and comes from a basement bar on the south side of Chicago. Pull up a stool, pour a cold one, and join us right now for Sacks in the Basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always at SacksInTheBasement.com. You know, I, I like trying to pick up little things that are coming out of the White Sox organization each and every week. It, it's more interesting than watching the games because they don't really matter anymore. I mean, you can watch a game. Like, you can go to a ballpark and watch a baseball game if the team is good or if the team is bad. So, like, I'll still go out there and watch a game, right, and see it in its own little microcosm of just in this day This is my team. I'm rooting for them. If they win, great. If they lose, I'm not going to cry. I'm not going to be upset. I'm not going to, it's not going to change my mood and then move on. But when you look at the overall picture of the team, you're not looking at uh, uh, like, are we in a playoff race or what's going on? You're more listening to what the manager is saying, what the new general manager is saying, like Pedro talking about the idea that he wants Mike Clevenger back. Which, I mean, it's a nice thought. I, I I looked up his numbers. I'm like, yeah, of course I would take him back. I don't think he's staying, though. No, I I, I mean, you know, th- there's people kind of think like the free agent class for starting pitchers is going to be super duper deep. But Shohei Otani is probably not pitching next year because of his elbow. Clayton Kershaw is pretty old. Aaron Nola's coming off of a bad year. Blake Snell is a good pickup. Julio Urias might be done because of his legal issues. Lucas Giolito's probably fallen down. Sonny Gray. I mean, you've got some good names, but there's a lot of guys that you kind of sit there and you go, eh, I don't know. You know, and so Clevenger could try the market very easily, but he could also look around and sit there and say, well, I'll take my 12 mil and, and bank on me having another good season and maybe being able to pick up a multi-year deal. Or he could just walk out there right now and sit there and go, honestly, guys, I've shown that I'm completely healthy. I've shown that I'm basically back to my old like reliable form from when he was with the guardians. And are you really going to take me? Or are you going to take rich Hill at age 58? Right. Because that's the thing. Like as of this moment, as we're sitting here, he's pitched the same amount of innings as he pitched last year for the Padres. And his, his whip is basically the same thing. Walks and hits per innings pitched. His fielding independent pitching has dropped almost a full point. And his ERA is down from a 4.33 to a 3.61. He's He's got more strikeouts at this point. Walks per nine have stayed the same. His strikeouts per nine have gotten a little bit better. And he's lowered down the amount of home runs he's giving up. He's a professional pitcher, no matter what you think about him. If you think he's a piece of garbage, you don't like his haircut, you don't like his history, you don't like what he was accused of. He's, he's a professional pitcher that many Major League Baseball teams are going to want. And he can essentially opt out. It's a mutual option. So of course the White Sox would say, we don't have a lot of pitchers for next year. This guy's valuable. We'll pay him 12 million and we'll bring him back. But he can sit there and say, well, no, I'm just going to take, I think it's four he gets, if I'm not mistaken, go out the door because I can get at least the other eight and probably more and sign for more than just one year here because he doesn't want to play on a one-year deal at the age of 33 coming off of this season because wins and losses don't really matter. He was on a bad team, but his metrics suggest that he is a viable piece to a rotation that pretty much any team in major league baseball would want. And somebody's going to knock on his door and give him more money. Right. Yeah. You're going to have a team like the Rangers who have had some pitching woes coming out of this year that, that fell short or some team that needs a fourth or fifth starter that is actually going to compete or a team like the Mets that might just give him, you know, 
20 million over five years because that's what's pre-printed in the checkbooks. You kind of kind of go up from there for a pitcher. I mean, he's worth three wins above replacement this year. If he was on a good team, he probably does a lot better. In my mind, he's a guy that, yeah, sure, I'd love to have back. I know why Pedro wants him. But but on the other hand, I look at what his options are and I'm like, well, why would he, though? You know, that when when we signed the deal with him, I remember saying that before I knew what was going to happen. We, I mean, we had an inkling. We had an inkling that it had been a bad offseason and this team could fall on its face. We said that, right? But Oh, we, yeah, a few we, times. But we even back then when there was still hope and you didn't know how things were going to end up this year and the mess it was going to be and the fact you're going to have Getz now as your GM because Rick and Kenny are gone and, and everything that's going on and the giant gaping holes in your rotation, all of that, I remember saying this is really a one-year deal. This is a one-year deal because if he does well – why would he stick around for the second year? Because he can make more money and get more years at this stage in his career. And if he does poorly, you won't want to bring him back the next year. So it was always set up like a one-year, $12 million deal. He really had to do mediocre. Like, he, he, you know, he had to find that that nice little gray, mushy area of he wasn't <laughs> particularly good or, or particularly bad. He was just sort of there. Right. right. He just needed to be there. This episode of Socks in the Basement and every episode of Socks in the Basement brought to you proudly by Cork and Carey at the park. 33rd in Princeton, Shadow of the Ballpark, your home base for White Sox pregame, postgame, and viewing parties. In reality, it's just a great place for me to bring the kids before the game, get them fed. Uh, the burgers are great. All the ballpark food is great, and it's at a great price. And we can be indoors. We can be outdoors. It's a friendly atmosphere. Make your experience more enhanced at Cork and Carey at the park. James Fox from Future Sox is going to be on this program in just a little bit. And we're going to talk about the fact that they have joined the broadcast basement on demand radio network, which is basically my network that uh, broadcasts from this bar. Although we have several podcasts now that don't actually broadcast from the bar and just want a little bit of support. You know, they've seen how we do things and they're like, I would like to do it like that. And uh, when James came to me and said, we're looking for a home, him and Mike Rankin. And they're like, we don't know where we are. They're like wayward spirits. Floating in the in the White Sox ether. Floating in the ether, yeah. Right, and I was like, well, you guys can come over here to this network because they cover all of the stuff happening in the minors. That's why we have them out all the time. I'm like, come on over here, have a home. I don't want anything from you. I don't want to take what you have. I don't want to put you on my site. You don't need to put me on your site. I'll just give you a little bit of support for your podcast because I dig you. So uh, we're going to welcome him in to, uh, to the network when he gets in here. And then we're going to talk a little bit about what the White Sox have asset-wise because Chris Getz shouldn't be married to anything. I mean, if I'm Chris Getz, I don't even care what Rick went out and got at the trade deadline, right? Yeah, th- those are just those are just more cannon fodder as far as I'm concerned. Because here's the thing, that kid they got for the burger deal, the pitcher, the double-A guy, like, like he could deal him if he found the right deal and shrug. Because people would be like, well, man, this is all we got. And he'd be like, I wasn't the GM that traded for him. Hell, our former GM didn't even trade for him. <laughs> But anyway, Getz doesn't have to be married. That's the point. He doesn't need to be married to any player that's in the system. And and I'm curious. I mean, you think about it. He was in charge of player development, but he didn't draft these guys, right? He could just sit there and say, this is a piece. He has the opportunity. I heard him in a recent interview sitting around talking about what he was doing right now. And he was basically saying like, hey, I've got to get I've got to get in the office. I've got to figure out what the day to day is. I've got to understand how how you do things. I mean, it's like he's like learning everything from like, this is how I make a transaction and this is how I want my office set up and this is how I want my staff set up and this is who answers the who and this is who needs this to leave. This is where the coffee is. He, he doesn't have a pen right now. He can't find the office supplies. He, he might need that. He might need some staples and things like that. But he, he has to decide who's going to walk out the door. 
He's going to decide who he wants to bring in the door. And that's probably what he's working on right now. And then he's because he needs to hit the offseason ready to go because there's a lot of work to be done. Joining me on the phone line right now, our good friend, James Fox from Future Sox. Uh, Love having James on to talk about what's going on in the minors. And now he is a part of the broadcast basement on-demand radio network as he and Mike Rankin bring Future Sox uh, to the same network that has the nine-foot homemade oak bar. So we're going to pass each other at the water cooler, my friend. How are you? I'm great, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I mean, I kind of, you know, feel like a quasi-teammate anyway as I've come on your show over the years and you know, it kind of got to the point where like I'd listen to something you guys would say or something would happen with the White Sox and I'd just send you a text like, hey, I think I need to come on. (laughs) You know, you'd you'd generally oblige and put me on either the Wednesday or Saturday show or whatever, you you know, whatever you guys have decided to do recently. So yeah, no, I think this is a, it's a good move for us for sure. I, you know, what I always love is that when I make a mistake, you tell me, but you don't do it publicly. You go, Hey Chris, uh, you, you might've missed this. And I go, Oh, I'm an idiot. And then I, I can correct it. Yeah. I can correct it in a nice way instead of you like calling me out on Twitter. So you've always been great with that. You got great information. I, I think you guys are, are just going to flourish. And uh, we're just happy that uh, that you're you're working alongside of us now. And actually, I can hook you up now because you're part of the network. There's perks. So if you or Rankin need a new window or door, window and door superstore of Oak Forest, you're done. You don't have to go anywhere else. The listeners don't have to go anywhere else. Exterior windows, doors, patio doors, storm doors. No high-pressure sales. They get you in the showroom. They don't go to your house. The owner's in the showroom. There's an owner on site when they're doing the job, including all of their own workers. They're not farming out the work. So if you and Rankin want to get new windows or doors and see full examples with some etchings in the windows or what the doorknobs are going to look like, you go to Window and Door Superstore of Oak Forest. They've been doing it the way they do it since the Bears won the Super Bowl last. That's a long time. All major brands custom made, no stock items, perfect fit. They're a half block east of 159th and Ridgeland at 6280 159th Street. See more at windowdooroakforest.com. Let's get into what's going on with Chris Getz's minor league system. Future Sox is the place to go for all of your minor league news and analysis. And these guys have been doing it so well for so many years. But I look at I look at what he has down there. And the first thing I see is the top two names on pretty much every list. And that's Colson Montgomery and Noah Schultz. And neither one of those guys are going to be here in 24, right? Uh, so I, I think Colson Montgomery might. Um, you know, I don't know if he'll be there at the start, but Colson Montgomery had a big league invite to spring training this past year. Um, and then obviously, like, he was down early, and then he, like, got hurt or whatever, and he missed some time, right? But, I mean, he finished the year in Double A. He's doing well there. He's going to the Arizona Fall League. So, like... Eh, if he goes to the Arizona Fall League and he looks like one of the better prospects there, and that's like a big-time prospect league, right? I mean, then you go into the offseason with the uncertainty around Tim Anderson. Like, I look, I've said this on this show and others. Like, if I had to bet on it, like, I, I don't think Tim Anderson's on next year's team. And, and look, that's only because of, like, the deteriorating control, right? Like, I just, like, I, I don't really see a path towards the White Sox being very good. So, like, I just, I, I just, like, think he moves this offseason. Now, that doesn't mean that Montgomery's, like, starting with the club, but, I mean, even if he goes back to Birmingham or if he's at Charlotte and he does well to start next year and you're in this, like, rebuild, like, for a year phase, whatever, I think we see him. I really do. I think he's, I think he's playing shortstop in Chicago at some point next year. I just I wouldn't bet on it at the beginning, but, I mean, you have outlets, like, ESPN, like Kylie McDaniel has 
Colson Montgomery is the number two overall prospect in like all of baseball. And wow. he's, you know, he's going to, and he's going to be top 20 everywhere. So, and look, it's Chris Getz, right? Like the organization's different, but I mean, this is an organization that has just kind of promoted guys like this, you know, like before they're ready or, or like, you know, they decided they're ready and then like they're in the big leagues. But I mean, you're in double A or triple A, like you're basically knocking on the door. So I think we see him Schultz. No way. I mean, you know, he needs, he, he needs a lot of time with him. You want to see him throw, you know, like a hundred innings if you can. And I don't really even care where that is. That could be at Winston Salem. He just, he needs innings and there's other guys, but they're not as highly regarded as those two, obviously. Well, you talk about Montgomery possibly coming up and you, you kind of touched on it when you were, when you were describing him, even though he's going to be on this, on these lists, this is a team that brings up their prospects too early. I mean, you could, you could look at Andrew Vaughn and say, what kind of player would he have been if you seasoned him a little bit longer? And so is there a concern about Montgomery being part of the plan? Because we, we talked about on the last show, I said, look, I see them moving on from Anderson just to clear the money, to give them some flexibility, and because he's not part of 25, so why are you going to do that? And instead, you can go in another direction with that money, but you can see why Elvis Andrus is still on the roster because they may turn around and say, Hey Elvis, you made 3 million last year with us. Uh, why don't we give you a four and you're the starting shortstop until Colson gets here. So I, I do believe he's coming and they may build a bridge to him, but will it be too early James? I don't know. Like, I don't, I don't, I think, it, I think a lot depends on how he looks like, I mean, look, if he goes to the Arizona fall league and like struggles for whatever reason. And like, look, I don't expect that because he's never really struggled. I mean, people can look at the batting average at double a, I guess. And, maybe take issue with that, but I mean, he's got an on-base percentage of 400. Like his walk rate has been like incredible throughout the minors. He's shown power. Like he's going to have more power. Like everybody threw the Corey Seager comp on this kid. And like, honestly, like that's, that's like kind of what it looks like at this point. Like, you know, you can have like a superstar here and you have a superstar in center field. Right. So that's like how you start stacking this thing up. And, you know, you got Edgar Caro at catcher in double A. He probably needs the full season just because, you know, like Anaheim, and I know you guys talked about this, but like Anaheim hiked him up to double A as like a 20 year old. And he was pretty, he's been pretty good with the Sox, but I think he needs some more time. Brian Ramos is already on the 40 man roster. He's supposedly going to the Arizona Fall League as well. So I wouldn't be surprised if like Ramos is a guy you could see early. And then, you know, like Sosa's kind of, struggled and not been very good. And Jose Rodriguez is on the 40 and the Colas thing is weird. So, I mean, like, yeah, like those are like the position players that are pretty close to the majors um, that should factor in at some point next year. But I mean, we can't really rule out any of these guys on the actual team getting moved other than Luis Robert. I mean, the team could look a lot different. I just, I just don't see how you can like run this back with this team, obviously. And everybody kind of talks about pitching and they need it. And I'm sure we're going to talk about it, but I mean, like the offense is atrocious, man. Like that, that's the, like you can get pitching all you want, but if you can't hit it all, I mean, it's going to be more of the same. Like he has a lot to fix. That's why the like winning in 24 fallacy is like insane to me. Well, he hasn't said that. That's what's interesting. When you listen to him, he's very measured in how he says it. Like Han was like, we're going to compete in 24. And he's like, we're going to, we're going to do, we're going to put together something in 24. We're going to continue to improve in the, in the following years. Like it almost seems like gets, gets that at least. And he's not going to sit there and boldly state we're going for it all in 24, because that would be a little insane when you look at all the problems with this roster. I do believe 
This is a team, though, that can reload quickly and, you know, have some fun in 2024. The fans can enjoy it, see the transition, and then we can maybe get excited as soon as 25 comes along if everything's done correctly. So let's talk about the pieces he has before we get to, like, pitching. Let's talk about the pieces he has, because if he's going to remake this thing, sure, he could try to move some of his major league pieces, but he's not going to be able to move Yoan Moncada's contract. So he's probably stuck with him. Uh, Loya Menez is intriguing if whether or not he decides, you know what, uh, it's, a, it's a chunk of change. It's one of my top five or six contracts that I have, and I need to shake things up. He could do that, do it that way at the major league level. But what also does he have at the minor league level? Because he shouldn't be married to anyone. He should be ready to, to move anyone if he thinks it makes his team better. What kind of assets does he have, James? Yeah, I mean, like something that Han and Kenny just didn't do. Like they didn't make a lot of prospect for prospect trades, right? And there, there is like a surplus of pitching a little bit. Like Noah Schultz is the only one that's probably an ace, right? And he's a little bit further away. But they do have like a bunch of guys in the upper minors where, you know, you could turn around and trade one or two of those guys plus something else to get like a young right fielder that's blocked from another team or something, right? Like there's nobody that I'm like, man, this is the guy that they should get ahead of the curve and, and like trade. Right. But like, maybe it is Brian, maybe somebody loves Brian Ramos and you, you trade him for like another guy with control. It's kind of like, I think what they thought they were doing with burger, you know, where it's like, okay, we're going to get this young lefty that we really like. And eater has been pretty bad, but you know, he was doing a whole bunch of mechanical stuff and, He's going to pitch in the Arizona Fall League as well. So look, like I, that one could still work out, right? Like that one could still be fine, even though people hated it. I just, I just think like for the first time, everything is on the table. Like nothing is going to surprise me, I guess, other than like somebody taking on Yohan Moncada or something. You know what I mean? And look, I, I <laughs> this is off topic, but he he's going to have a huge year next year because he has to get paid again. Like uh, that's, <laughs> that's that's the true. thing that I'm the most sure of. Is that Yohan Moncada will Yohan Moncada will be awesome next year? That's happening. Yeah, he's gonna have a big year. Well, you, know, that, that, you know what? I don't doubt that at all. The one thing that scares me because we've seen it happen is a lack of moves because that was the thing. They just ne- when you expected them to do stuff last last off season and when you expect them to do things at the trade deadline before they did their sell off, which is easy to do. It's really easy to call up somebody and say, "I'm gonna give you this player to help you uh, go to the playoffs and you give me a prospect." Like that that seems like it's the easiest transaction to work out for any general manager in Major League Baseball. But there's been a there's been a lack of moves at times when we were waiting for them. Uh, it, it's hard I think for you to kind of tell me what kind of guy you think Chris Getz is, but uh, do I have any reason to be worried there won't be any moves and that he's going to stand pat? I don't think so. Cause I think he had, like he has to know that this is like not going to work. Right. And look, I think there's some guys, right. Like they're not going to trade Luis Robert. Like that would be stupid. And like, look, I'm not married to Andrew Vaughn and I don't think you are either, no. but like that's a, that's a guy that could play for you. So there's really no reason to move that guy unless he's part of, something that brings you something good, right? Like Vaughn can be on the team. That's like not really that big of a deal. And Benintendi signed, right? But anybody else, like Aloy could get moved. I wouldn't be surprised at all. I kind of expect Cease to get moved, even though he hasn't been that good, you know? So I just, I think this is an off season where they really shake things up. They make some ads, but they're also like pretty young, like you've talked about. And I think, I think you're right. I think if you do this correctly, by 25, we could expect to at least be, you know, decent with like a puncher's chance and have it look good for 25, 26, 27, 28, right? But 
if you pull like uh, Rick Hahn, Ken Williams off season from like 07 to 16, right, where you're just bringing in like three or four veterans that are declining and you do the Salvador Perez thing and like whatever, like then I think, you know, this is like your typical Jerry Reinsdorf operation and it's going to fail, right? So that's why I think like what happens over the next couple of months here is pretty important. And I think we're going to see a lot of these young guys and just see who should be here and who shouldn't be. And look, Getz ran the minor leagues, but I, I don't think he's going to be married to any of these guys. And he even, you know, he even brought it up. He mentioned it like in his opening press conference. And I think everybody was too angry to listen where he said like, you know, can we multiply, right? He made a comment like that. Like, can we trade some, like one guy for three guys, right? Like how many times can he do that and like improve his big league team? Like the, the Tigers did something this off season. And I don't remember the, you know, they traded their like left-handed reliever, right? That they didn't need because they were bad to the Phillies. And they got three like big league, like bench type guys. Right. But those are like three guys that helped that team this year. Like maybe, maybe we see, like similar moves for the White Sox where you just like make the 40 man roster better instead of just like having these black holes all over it constantly. Socks in the basement listeners do the hard work. And if you're a hardworking man or woman on the South side, you need to be outfitted properly. And that's why you should visit Red Wing Shoes in Evergreen Park, New Lenox, and Geneva. A work boots specialty store that carries sizes from 6 to 16 and feet as wide as 4E. A 115-year-old company that came out of Red Wing, Minnesota. And one of its largest stores in the entire Midwest is in Evergreen Park, Illinois, ever since 1976. When you're on your feet, the footwear is everything. So why not get an expert fitting? They warranty, repair, and offer free conditioning with laces. And they also carry Carhartt work clothing as well. Located at 3347 West 95th Street in Evergreen Park, Illinois, at 208 East Maple Street on Route 30 in New Lenox, or at 1749 South Randall Road in Geneva. Visit them today. You work hard. You've earned it. Red Wing Shoes. Nick Nestrini is a very interesting name to me. Because I feel like that's the guy, if somebody sat there and said, Chris, right now, pick somebody that's uh, in the minor leagues and a pitcher that could be in the rotation, I'd pick his name. Am I right? Am I wrong? Who am I missing as well? Yeah, I think you're right. Because, I mean, look, me and Mike have debated this with our guests on on the Future Sox podcast. Um, Just like, I don't know how much some of these guys need to pitch in Charlotte, right? Because, like, that place is crazy. And it's really hard to pitch there. And once you've like accomplished double A, like whatever that means, right? Like your numbers are good enough, or you think that you've, you've exceeded past double A. Like, I, I don't think these guys need 25 to 30 starts in the international league to prove anything. Cause like the ERAs are going to be inflated and it's just not a great place to pitch. So yeah, I think we definitely see a streaming at some point um, in 2024. I think Christian Mena is a guy who we probably see at some point. You know, Matthew Thompson was a high school pick and back in 2019, he's rule five eligible. I bet they protect him. I think we could see him. You know, you see like the Davis Martin type guys, right? Who like he's back next year, most likely. There's another guy, Mason Adams, who's pitching at double A, who's a 13th rounder out of Jacksonville State a couple of years back. And he's just done nothing but perform. And now he's in double A pitching well. And he's like 23. So I mean, there's like all sorts of these guys where, like if you're pitching well at double A and you're like 23 or 24, 
But you're probably going to pitch for the 2024 White Sox, I think, because I don't see them going out and signing three veteran starting pitchers, right? They might sign one, and they might trade for one or something along those lines, right, and shift some things around. But I think a lot of these young pitchers that are at AA and AAA, I think 24 is like a good time to see them, and I think Chris Getz will probably agree with that. James Fox covers the minors for Future Sox. That podcast is now on the same network we're on, the Broadcast Basement On Demand Radio Network. Uh, he and Mike Rankin do a great job. James is always great when he comes on the show. And uh, I just appreciate you kind of breaking it down for us because I think I, I think once you get over the anger of how everything went over the last couple of years and you, you get over the frustration of an internal hire at GM, you, you also have a little bit of hope that Chris Getz is going to be different and you you look at what the White Sox have, and the pieces are there to be able to make moves, and there are some really interesting names, and as long as we see them at least admit what they are and how they need to change the way they do things, I'll be satisfied as a fan if I see moves in the offseason, if I see a couple of these guys come up and get a chance and, and perform well, and if I and if I see a different attitude, and, and, and also I got to see Daryl Boston leave. Has he left yet? When is he leaving, James? I, dude, I don't know, but there's a whole host of, like, Kenny Williams people, and you guys talked about one very close to him on your show recently, um, that, that are very likely not going to be around anymore. I mean, like, some of these people were there strictly because they were friends with Kenny, and, well, I, I don't really see a need for most of those people anymore. Like, there's some guys on the, there's some guys on the pro scouting side, there's Debo, as you've talked about, and, you know, that was, like, and you talked about it on the show a little bit, and I'll say it again here, like, it's one of the first moves Chris Getz made this year, when I you know, was starting to hear from people that like Ken Williams Jr. wasn't around anymore. And then I reached out to, you know, some beat writers and nobody really went on the record, but you know, it kind of seemed like Chris Getz's first move was, was shifting Ken Williams Jr. out of that role. And he was just kind of doing other stuff like helping his dad. So, you know, he's still on the website, Chris, but I know. I, you know, I, I, I'd be surprised if he's on the website two months from now. I know it's going to be one of those things where we're going to be waiting for the website to change. And then we're going to start comparing it with what the list was a couple days earlier. I think that's the only way we're going to see where the changes are. And I'm looking forward to some additions and seeing what he does. Thanks so much for joining us, my friend. All righty. Thanks for having me. James Fox, who you just heard from, and every guest here on Socks in the Basement brought to you proudly by the village of Lamont. Want to experience a downtown with real history, great eats and drinks and green spaces Filled with adventure, visit the village of Lamont. Shop, dine, drink, explore, and we will see you out at the Forge Saturday, the 23rd of September. Socks in the Basement and Southside Pod will have a tent out there. Come by and see us. Raise a big giant stein, and we're going to have a blast out there. Oktoberfest in Lamont at the Forge. See more at lamontdowntown.com. So at the beginning of the show... You were talking about the depth of starting pitching in free agency in relation to Mike Clevenger. And I pulled up a list of all the possible pitchers that will be out there that are realistically starting pitchers that are already veterans in Major League Baseball and you kind of know who they are, right? And you heard about the assets that we have. Our rotation is going to be Dylan, 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 and Dylan. He's going to have to spit hot fire. Exactly. So, I mean, like, you have to look at other pitchers. And, and it makes sense. I mean, even if you don't think you're going to compete in 24, realistically, if you sign somebody for a couple of years, that person's ready to go if you get the right guy. They, they don't have a lot of money, but there's a lot of veterans that are out there. Like, I don't want to go anywhere near Rich Hill, 
I'm not interested in finding out if the uh, the club doesn't pick up the option on Corey Kluber if he's ever going to get back to being the Klubot. I don't think that's happening, right? Do, do you want Lucas Giolito back? You know what? Yes, I do. I do. I don't care what Lucas did away from the White Sox if you think you know what makes him an effective pitcher. If the White Sox have the code that unlocks Lucas Giolito that makes him a good pitcher, then yes, I would take Lucas Giolito back. I argued all season long that this is the guy I would be signing and I'd be trying to trade Dylan Cease because in a couple of years, Scott Boros is not even going to give you a chance to sign him. He's going to take him to free agency. So so I, I, I was arguing that and I still believe in it. I still believe that Lucas Giolito would be a, a, a big pickup to bring back in here. But if you were going to do that, though, you would have thought that Chris Getz, as one of his first acts as GM, would have claimed him when he was waived. Oh, no, 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 no. I, I wouldn't. No? No, his value is only going down. The more he struggles with the Angels and, and now he's with gu- the Guardians, right? So the more he struggles away from the White Sox, the cheaper he is when you, can't, when you go so to you want him. him. You want Lucas Giolito to do badly. Then come back to the White Sox and be like, all right, uh, it didn't work hey, look, out for if, me. If Lucas wants to be here, if he really wants to be here, I don't know. I, I mean, I might sit there and go out there and be like, oh, I'm just going to throw BP fastballs for a while for the Angels. These guys aren't ever, ever going to win anything anyway. So, Well, no, he needs to increase his value because he wants to make money, right? He wants to make money. Yeah. But you're saying as a White Sox fan, every Lucas Giolito loss is a good thing because maybe this team can afford him and he'll come back, give some sort of a discount and not really be able to ask for the pie in the sky, big money contract because of what happened. And then he knows that when he comes here, he just has something like Ethan Katz is like the Lucas Giolito whisperer. So he'll come back and it'll be for less money than what you assumed at the beginning of the year. It was going to cost to have him. And it might not even be a long deal. It'll be within the Jerry Reinstorf three, four year rule. And that's what you're hoping for. You're hoping for just terribleness out of Lucas Giolito, and that's why you don't want him back on the team because we're the only team that can make him good. And then he gets back here, and we make him good, and it didn't cost us that much. Is that is that your right. evil well, scheme? It, 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 kind of, yeah. And I don't wish the guy ill by any stretch of the imagination. Sounds but if like Chris it. Sounds had, like you wish him ill. It sounds like you wish him to have a terrible year no, and not no. make as much Look, money. It, it, my, my point is, is that as a Sox fan, if I want him back, if, if Chris Getz had claimed him off of waivers, brought him back, uh, and he, he goes out – and pitches really, really well down the stretch. Now you're, I mean, now we're talking about him in terms of no one's going to be able to afford him. Yeah, you know, he might have struggled out in Anaheim, but then he came right back and he looked great on a terrible team. So, uh, you know, he's going to be able to get that money. I, I'm just saying that you know, I, I think, I think that there's going to be a lot of bidding for his services regardless. I don't think my theory holds any sort of water whatsoever about Lucas Giolito's affordability. But it doesn't, I don't think it hurts the White Sox chances that he's struggling away from the team as much as if he had gone out and pitched really, really well for the Angels reviews, pitching really, really well for the Guardians, or had come back to the Sox and pitched really well, that that teams might have looked at it more like what happened with the Angels is an aberration versus maybe Ethan Katz is literally the only guy who knows how to coach this dude. The guy I find most interesting that's out there amongst starting pitchers is Luis Severino. He is interesting isn't because he? he was so good and he had this, he had the injuries and the surgeries, right? You could almost look at it and say a lot of guys when they come off of long-term injury aren't really good in that first year or so back. 
Remember with Johnny Cueto a couple years ago when I was like, sneaky right. pickup, this is a guy I go grab. We were calling for it before the White Sox gave that minor league deal. I'm like, sneaky pickup, guys coming off of those kind of injuries. Like, sometimes they don't look so good, and then this would be the year they'd be good. And, like, you wonder, like, could you sign a guy who's not ancient? He's not ancient at all. I think he's just going to be 30. He's not ancient at all. No, yeah, he's. I think he's 29 as we're sitting here. Right, you've seen him be the ace of a staff in New York City. And he's just looking for a place to get himself back on track again. And I wouldn't give him like the one year prove it deal like you did with uh, Clevenger because he'll opt out in year two after he gets good and you won't be able to hold on to him. But he would be an interesting one if your scouts were able to identify what they thought needed to happen. And that's the one thing the White Sox haven't been able to prove to me that they're capable of doing. Scout a player and say, we know what we're going to do here and this is how we're going to make him good again. But he's such an interesting name. Like, somebody's going to get him. And I wouldn't be shocked at all if Severino doesn't climb the mountain again and become a high-level pitcher. I don't think that guy's done. That's just a guy who had some bad luck with some injuries. If he's healthy, if he checks out, if he's not hampered by them anymore, and he's just trying to get himself back together again, and some of it might be a little mental, and it's got to be difficult to do that in the high-pressure cooker situation it is New York. Come to Chicago on the south side, where, like, there isn't really a pressure cooker. I mean, the owner doesn't really care if you win or lose. He says he cares, but he doesn't. But I mean, like, it's not really a pressure cooker in a season where you don't feel like you are going for a championship because that's not what 24 is going to be. But get him in here and and see what you can get out of him. That could be somebody who you're sitting around in a year or two saying, man, I'm glad we got that guy for three years. I give him two years and an option year. Oh, yeah. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always on socksinthebasement.com.